on Mother's Day. Awesome thing. Rang my mum this morning. Told her I loved her. I, um, who was here last week? Just to give context to this, I, I shared, uh, started, this is really a, the second part of a, of a uh, first part message, so to full get, get full context, I'd ask you to maybe go and have a listen to the, the message from last week on, on the website. I started this message called Living from a Divine Order, and I basically pulled apart the great commandment. It's a commandment. It's not a great idea. It's not a great thought. It's a commandment. The great commandment is to love God with everything we are. Everything. There's really no place for self in us. He, he, he beckons us to live for him and to love him with our entire being. And it's a commandment. And we rip that apart. And, and today, as I say, it's the second part of how I'm going to uh, just sort of share that this is not only to be literal for us, that this is the relationship that God is looking for, but it's also a divine way in which what I would call true knowledge comes to a person. Paul talks about true knowledge, that there is knowledge and there is true knowledge. There is a knowledge that puffs you up, it's called information. And then there is a knowledge that, that defines you and matures you and makes you come alive on the inside because it's living truth. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life, and they f- are to form themselves in you. And they are completely two different things because we love knowledge as the world. You know, we worship knowledge. If people have letters in front of behind their names, we think, man, those are really important people. But when Jesus came and he said, you know what, I've come from a completely different kingdom. I'm from a completely different place. And where I come from, we do things completely different. Where I come from, if you want to find life, you've actually got to lose your life. Really? Yeah. If you want to find life, you actually have to commit your whole being to me. If you want to come follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Relationships, finances, time. Energy. I want all of you. And we're going to unpack how this divine order of heart, soul, mind, strength is actually how we actually come to a place of what I call, as I said, living knowledge. Knowledge that doesn't just tickle the intellect, but a knowledge that brings life. Who wants life on the inside? Because so often we're chasing the externals. Jesus said my greatest commandment is to heal the sick or to preach the gospel. He said the greatest commandment is to love me with all your heart. If we don't have the commandments sorted out, we will define the commission the way we want it done. You know what that happens? Burnout, dead Christians, people giving up, people frustrated. Why? Because the commandment hasn't been sorted. The way in which I operate and this divineness of complete surrender, because we looked at what that word love means, and we're going to look at it today. And so we'll actually define the commission our way. That's how purposeful God is in his truth. And we're about to look at a clip, and I want you to really listen, hear today. Sorry, don't listen, hear. Jesus said if you've got ears to hear, you'll hear what the Spirit's saying. And this is about communion plus. 
and it's a, a Messianic uh, rabbi who's sharing at Max Licardo's church community about a greater purpose behind communion. And so I want you to tune in and listen because there is depth of truth here that uh, when I listened to it, I got incredibly excited and challenged all in the same breath. And so we can play that clip, James. That'll be awesome. Thank you. I'm grateful for this invitation, and I feel very warmly embraced in Texas. My wife told me it was 24 degrees this morning and where I came from. (laughs) This morning, I would briefly like to go back in our history to the time of the first Passover in Egypt when we were being released from slavery as a people and being brought out to worship God freely. The final event that released us from Egypt was the death of a blemishless lamb whose bones could not be broken, either in preparation or even after death, the lamb's bones could not be broken. It would render it invalid. The blood from that particular lamb was placed upon the doorposts of the houses and Consequently, those who were within the house were protected from death. That took an act of faith to do that. Some did and some did not. Many Egyptians chose not to put blood on the doorposts of their houses. But those Egyptians that did joined Israel in life. It was a wonderful thing. Since then, the Passover has been celebrated in various ways through the Jewish communities. And there has been a consistent theme developed through the centuries One of them is to include four different cups of wine in the Passover celebration. The third cup is an interesting one because it represents the redeeming blood of the lamb. And indeed, in Jewish thought, wine represents two things. One is blood and one is joy. And in the days of judgment, when Moses turned water to blood, it was demonstrated that As the scripture foretells, Messiah, who will be like Moses, the book of Deuteronomy says, is going to do something similar. And the rabbis, the sages of old said, when Messiah comes, he will be able to take water and turn it into wine because it will no longer be a time of judgment. This is highly significant when you consider the first miracle performed by Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. It was fulfilling a rabbinic expectation, wasn't it? The last Passover he celebrated with his disciples, he took the cup which was directly after supper, the Apostle Paul tells us. That, in our ceremony, is the third cup, the one that represents that lamb's blood which purchased our redemption. It was that cup with which he identified his work. He said, this cup represents my blood. You know, there's another interesting ceremony that's more than 2,000 years old, and it's still practiced in some communities today. When a young man sees a young lady that he's interested in, the arrangement is always done by the fathers, but in essence, the ceremony which cements their relationship into a firm, legally binding marriage involves him bringing a cup of wine to her, and he says to her, The wine in this particular goblet is representative of my very life's blood. If you drink this wine, you'll be mine. 
you'll be married to me. If she takes the cup and drinks it, that's it. She's now married. I can see the fathers in the room calculating the costs they would save in such an arrangement. <laughs> and young ladies, if the young man says, I'm willing to die for you, I'm willing to lay down my very life on your behalf, don't be so fast to push him out the door. <laughs> what we have here in the ceremony is an overlaying of two different ceremonies. The last Passover that Messiah was with his disciples, he was indeed fulfilling the Passover traditions of that day and our day today. However, he was overlaying another ceremony. He was asking his disciples, and indeed those who would follow after, those of you who are seated here this morning, to consider very carefully a proposal. And that proposal is of marriage. To become joined with him in a marriage. By this time in his ministry, there were no more questions in the minds of his disciples. There was nothing unusual or obscene in what he was discussing with them. As he proposed marriage, they were acutely aware this was far more than just a man sitting with them. And I must tell you that they chose very solemnly to drink, knowing what it meant. A bride who became married in this fashion did not immediately move in with her husband. There was a time of separation. This was known as the betrothal period, and do not think that a betrothal is like an engagement in today's society. It's not. The betrothal period could last a year, two years, sometimes three, where the bridegroom went back to the home of his father, and he would build a place suitable for his bride. And the father who knew the customs and knew what his son's wife would want, because his father had been married already, would be able to show him what be, would be needed for that apartment or that arrangement. And when the house was completed, the father would say, you now have enough done, you may go and get your bride. And so in a torch-lit procession, most of the time took place at night, he would come and they would see him arriving over the hills with his groomsmen. She approximating the time he might be ready for her. They had, of course, corresponded. He had sent her gifts during this time. She, preparing herself for his arrival, would joyously meet him. The one thing about that particular ceremony of drinking wine is that they would not drink of the fruit of the vine together until they were reunited. And the purpose for this was because, as I mentioned, the secondary purpose for wine is joy and its representation. Representing joy, it would never be complete until they were once again reunited. And this is why Messiah, when he took that cup, said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Beloved, this morning, as you consider what this means for you, please drink carefully, with great thought. The penalty in the Torah for adultery is death, and this indeed sheds light upon what the Apostle Paul said when he said some of you who are eating and drinking unworthily have gotten sick and some have even died. Please live lives as if you are married, once you're married. Don't flirt with the single life. Don't flirt with the ways of the world. Let's pray. May we, Lord God, as we consider your ways this morning, be committed fully. Now I want to just go over the word love that I shared last week when God says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because that word means this, to totally give yourself over to,
to be totally consumed with what you put first in your life. It's a binding of oneself to something or someone that you become one with. And I shared how it's not based on a feeling, but it's based on a choice. The ultimate end of that, I believe, is that we would feel that amount of compellingness in our spirit that we love him with the feeling. But at the starting point, to love God with all your heart so is a choice. It's an active choice of a person's will to let go of themselves and bind themselves to somebody else. And we can do that in a negative way or we can do that in a positive way because we can bind ourselves to a whole lot of things. And my heart is that you are hearing what is being said through that clip, that you're actually hearing what he's saying because many are called salvation. Few are chosen, the Bible says. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Few. The, the pathway is narrow. The pathway of following Christ isn't wide, it's narrow. But it's a pathway of life. The cost is great, but the reward is greater for a person and a people that choose Him over themselves. That actually choose that kind of love to bind yourself to Him. We sing about it every week. At the foot of your cross, my heart is abandoned to you. And he's looking, and this is this whole thing I've been saying, he's looking. It brings life to John 6, 56, which says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That word abide means to continue to be present, to be held, kept continually. Now, when you read just a bit beneath that, it's where you see many disciples walk away from Christ. He says, if you eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the many disciples say, your teaching has now got too hard. We are leaving you. And he turns and he looks at Peter and says, are you going to? And what does Peter say? We're Are we going to go? You hold the answers to life and truth. You see, they got what Jesus was saying when he said, you drink my blood. I'm being bound to you. We're becoming one. Will you complete this and walk with me and go through this crushing? That word narrow means crushing. It's a crushing of one's will to choose him. And it brings life. It births life, freedom, peace, joy. If you want to find life and have that, you've got to lose you. Active choice of one's will. It's so powerful. The cost is great, but the life and the reward are greater. Heart, soul, mind, strength. It's a divine order. Let me just read you out of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 16. Father, I pray you just lift right now the heaviness that's right here. I pray you would lift the heaviness, Father. In fact, I, I just bind the spirit of heaviness and I loosen the spirit of faith into the hearts of your people. Father, I declare faith to come 
life to come right now, God. Right now, Father, Spirit of the living God would just impact us right now. And we would choose to put on you. We would choose, Father, you, God. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Paul's reliance upon the Spirit. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. It's not about articulating these beautiful three-point messages with clips. It's about power. Power to change, living truth to change our hearts. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. God speaks in mysteries, but we've been given the Holy Spirit to understand the mysteries. And that brings life. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it's written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which not have entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. That's good news. There is more for those, for those who love him, revealed via what? The mind? No, the spirit, the heart. He goes on, for to us, God revealed them through the spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man, which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spirit. Spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Verse 15. But he who is spiritually appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, but he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. If you've decided to put your faith and trust in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. But that must become a living reality to you. We say we are sons. We are sons. But are we living in the revelation of sonship? Because it talks about faith and deeds. If you're going to articulate it, are you living it? Has it become a reality? Or is it just words? A son knows his sonship. A son lives in the inheritance and models it and lives it out. And we have the mind of Christ legally because you have the Spirit of God in you. But there's a revelation that needs to take place in you that that becomes a greater reality. So to say, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can see someone's lifestyle that matches that statement. We look at our, I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, you know, if God took a snapshot, if you guys all took a camera of the last month of my life and we would outplay it on the screen, 
I wonder how it would read. Would that video of a month reflect my love for him? I'd hope it would. I pray it would. That's the journey that we're all called to be on. That it wouldn't just be words, but it would be a lifestyle. Come follow me. A lifestyle. And learn through the heart, the soul, the mind. And it would outwork through strength. So come with me to Acts 2. And I'm going to show you a passage where Peter starts to get this reality. And there are four things, four quick things I want to share with you. Acts 10 it starts in verse 9. And this is where Cornelius has a vision. And he, uh, he sends about three men to go get Peter and for Peter to come and to speak to them about something which he doesn't know and Peter certainly doesn't know. So in verse 9, Acts 10 verse 9, it says, On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. This is like me, but he became hungry. <laughs> became hungry. And was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Listen to his reply. But Peter uh, said, by no means, Lord... For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately object was taken up into the sky. Verse 17. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind... As to what the vision which he had might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up and go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings. I've sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and a close friend. When Peter entered, Cornelius, sorry, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, Stand up, I'm just a man too. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason I have been sent. And you make your way down to verse 34 and it says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one 
to show partiality. And it goes further on and we see these men start to receive uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit comes upon them for the first time. Here's my first thought. Understanding a greater depth of truth always starts in the heart. Understanding a greater depth of truth always starts in the heart, which is the spiritual. I've just read, our natural minds can't entertain. Our carnal thinking, God wants to bring a greater definition, a greater depth of truth to us. We'll never understand that in our minds. Peter couldn't understand the vision in his mind. Hold on a minute. This is the same Peter baptized with the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit who preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get added. And God comes to his spirit. God comes and starts speaking to him. He has a dream. And we see here in verse 17, Peter was greatly perplexed in mind to what the vision was about. He starts then arguing with God because there's this Levitical law that's been in place for thousands of years which if you eat these foods, you become unclean. No way am I going to be unclean. I haven't eaten any of this stuff. God's not even talking about that. Nothing to do with food. And God even says to him, no longer consider unholy what I have cleansed. Can you hear what I'm saying? Peter's trying to figure out something here that can only start to come here. Jesus said understanding starts in the heart, in the spirit. And then it starts to make its way through and down us to our minds. See, when we try and grapple with things of the spirit in our minds, we get frustrated. We feel dead. I'm on the outside of this thing. I'm not receiving this thing. It's, it's hard. I don't understand. No, neither did Peter. God, would you show me? Would you reveal? And we're going to see what Peter does here. We can even get scared and fearful. When Jesus came to the disciples on the water, what did they say? It must be a ghost. And they're living in fear. It's Christ. It's fascinating how you see them, you know, in, in the early Gospels and they're with Christ. And they, he gets in the boat. Well, he's actually sleeping with them. Well, he's sleeping in there. They're getting buffeted by the waves. And he's just in the boat having a snooze. And they wake him up. See, one's in peace and one's in anxiousness. And they wake him up. And he speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. Everything goes back to normal. And you know what they say to him? Who is this? He only handpicked them. He's only been walking with them for a period of time. And they're still asking, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Well, I'm Jesus. I've told you I'm Jesus. But who is he? And as you go forward, you start seeing, and I've preached from this many a times, Matthew 16. Who do the people say that I am? Who are you? And there's all these people giving all their opinions through their mind. He looks at Peter. Who do you say I am now? You're the Christ. How did you get that? Through revelation, not flesh and blood, from the Spirit, from the Father. See, understanding starts here. 
Understanding doesn't start in our carnal minds. A spirit-led mind is one that's been renewed via the spirit. And this is what we're seeing here with Peter. Don't forget, this is the man baptized in the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a whole journey of being broken down and then being built back up of a depth. If we think we can work God out, how many wants a God you can figure out? Anybody? You want a God that you can work out? That's a small God. If I can figure God out in my small mind, that's a tiny God. I don't think that's a God that speaks life and things happen. If I can figure him out, I am not in a good place. But God gives me a Holy Spirit. He gives me a spirit that I can understand these mysteries. If I'm seeking him, if I'm intimate with him, if I love him, if I'm giving my life to him, saying, speak to me. Show me. Moses said, show me your ways because my ways aren't your ways. David says it. Show me your ways. I'm full of iniquity, God. My heart is wicked. Show me your ways. If I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to sleep with a woman, send a man out to battle. Comes through the Spirit. Number two is an active submission of our soul which is our will and emotions, and it's the key to receive revelation. An active submission of my will and my feelings. It's the thing God gives you control over. He says, I'm not going to mess with your will. You have to submit it to me. What a loving God. He doesn't want robots. He wants lovers of his presence. People that genuinely love him with heart, soul, mind, strength. Here's your will. Do what you will with it. But if you would submit it to the foot of the cross and allow me to define it, you will come alive and freedom and power and life and joy and patience and all these things. You'll become like me. But you know what? We do not. Let's get this right in the right way. No, I'm going to read it out of my notes so I get it around the right way. We never understand to believe, but we must believe to understand. He does not understand in his mind. But you know what he does? He makes an active choice to go with these men. Listen to verse 30, 23. And on the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. He's making an active choice of faith. He hasn't yet worked this vision out. He doesn't know what it's about. But you know what? He's seen God move. He's experienced God. He's filled with this power. He's saying, I'm going to choose your will now over my will, and I'm going to go into the unknown zone. And it requires faith. And Jesus said, when I return, I'm looking for faith. Faith is scary. Faith requires risk. Faith requires the letting go of everything that you've ever known. And going, ah! It's solid. You are out here. My goodness, let's give another one a go. You're here too. And then, an act of choice of submission by faith over his. And this is what Peter models for us. It's, it's, it's incredible. Let me give you another illustration of it. Peter and his disciples fishing all night in a boat, caught nothing. How many fishermen here? 
How many people are frustrated? You've been out all night, not even caught a little bit of bait. If you're a fly fisherman like Keith, that's even more skillful required to, to do that. Caught nothing. You're tired. He's back. He's putting in. He's, he's doing his stuff that fishermen do. And Jesus turns up and says, caught nothing. Now, it's a Monty Python moment, isn't it? Ah, you know, if you, if you throw your net on the other side of the boat, you'll catch some fish, geezer. <laughs> you can imagine Peter. Tired, exhausted. I know what I'm talking about. You keep the spiritual to the spiritual. I'm the fisherman. I don't need your advice. But I don't know what happened, but he looks and he goes, because you say so. Although I'm the fisherman, although I've been doing this for my whole life and you just turned up, I submit that to you. And I will do an active choice of your will, die to mine, throw it on the other side. And we know the story. 153 fish later. Why? Because of an active choice of obedience to die to one's own will and feelings. We cannot be dictated to by our feelings. Well, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. Well, then you will experience the fruit of that decision. It's not what God wants for you. He models it. He puts it in pictures and stories, true stories out the whole book to show us the pattern in which he operates from. And in this beautiful picture of this understanding that comes, it's the breaking down of our will that our minds are now prepared and able to receive a greater depth of truth. But what's required is a humility of heart and a love for God in your heart. Because when another paradigm, a greater paradigm of his truth comes, like in this situation right here, in this one we're looking at Acts. See, Peter loved them. Peter had a, he was doing all these crazy stuff, but he had a humility of heart. He was humble enough to go, I haven't got it all together. Maybe I've got some things slightly out of alignment. And so I'm going to submit that and see what happens. And as we're going to, find out he starts to receive revelation and other people get to experience a credible act and moving power of God you see I love that bit there in verses 23 when it says some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him when you start accompanying walking together with people that God's actually breaking down and starting to reveal things to and you place yourself with those people guess what you come into their oil you can come into what they're going through. You can actually receive because you are committed to walking and actually you start going through down through the same breaking process. But there needs to be a breaking down of a mindset. There needs to be a, a breaking down from the, oh, he said, God's like saying, we're in a new day, Peter. You're saying to me, I've never eaten. I've never eaten of this stuff. Yeah, that was right back in the day. Now, I've come to complete this whole book. It's not old and new. I've just come to complete it. What God makes holy, now don't say is unholy. It's a new season. And he needed a greater revelation of the Father 
to understand even this. The third thing, a renewed mind sees as God sees, and that's in the intellectual. So heart, spiritual, soul, which is our will, our emotions, is the emotional part of us. The mind is the intellectual. Peter started to see from top down. He starts to get this understanding how God's seeing this right here. Verses 28, 29. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me. Well, he wasn't saying that a couple of verses before. He was arguing with God, disagreeing with God. But who's right in that equation? You've had an argument with God and won? If you do, come and talk to me. You're quite an interesting person to meet. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean or unholy. His mind starts to see now. It came in his spirit, didn't understand it here. He starts to engage. He goes, I'm going to do an active choice and I'm going to follow these men. And on the journey, revelation starts to drop. Revelation. Who do the people say that I am? How did you get that? A man can only receive from heaven what's shown him by the Father. We cannot understand this thing in our carnal minds. Peter tried at the start. You're not going to Jerusalem. You're not going. Jesus says, get behind me. You read the book a little bit further on. What does he now say? I'll go with you. I'm going to go where you're going to go. His heart hadn't changed. It's the same guy. His heart didn't learn the lesson at get behind me. He still has the same mind. He then grabs a sword and lobs off a fella's ear. And because God's so powerful, he can pick the ear up and stick it back on. When are you going to get this? And the Bible says he had the mind of man, not God's interest at heart. His interests, his mind, which keeps you from receiving what God has. Why? Because he's trying to understand it here, not allowing the Spirit to start to speak and for it to come through a process. I'm going to read Ephesians over us. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Uh, the Christian's walk. This is how it entitles it in my Bible. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. A natural mind sets itself on its own interests, self-interests. But a renewed mind 
sets itself on the Father. You see, this whole relationship is two-way. God's love is not in question. God's love is never in question for us. It's constant. It's always there. But it is a two-way relationship. Any relationship is two-way. And so often I think in, in the last, I don't know, I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian 14 years, but I've shared this before, but you know, we've, we've painted this beautiful picture of God's love for us, but what about our love for him? Do we reciprocate that, that he laid down his life for us? Do we lay down our lives for him and his purposes? Once again, that love, that's what he's saying. He's asking the question. You take my clip. And you meditate on that clip. You're married. You're taking the cover. You're taking communion. You're married. Are we living like we're married? The Jewish nation were separated from God because they committed adultery to Him. It's one book. Do we live as if we're married today? That we're literally, the words are our lifestyle. Because he's returning for a bride that loves him. That's spotless, wrinkle-free. It's all about the bride. The fourth and final thing was, and we can have the communion handed out, that'd be great. But it's operating in God's strength produces life and freedom. Operating in God's strength produces life and freedom. And we see Peter goes through this process. His mind didn't get it. He then takes an active choice of his will to be obedient to what he's asked to do by the Father. On the journey, he receives revelation. I now know what I'm about. I'm coming to bring this message to the Gentiles about the Holy Spirit. And he preaches that, not in his own strength, in God's strength. And we see, it says that many people received the Holy Spirit and were baptized later on. He did it in the strength that God was, had put in him, not his own strength. We're to flow from the power that is within us. But the enemy's plan, and I said this last week, is to flip that order. The enemy's plan is to get you and I operating in our own strength. Trying to understand God in our carnal minds. How many people can how many people can save somebody here? How many people can heal? Someone here. How many people chose to be born today? How many people here chose to be born with a fallen nature? What's it really about? You can't save anyone. You can't heal anyone. You weren't born. You didn't choose to be born with a fallen nature. How many people chose their parents? greatest commandment the Pharisees missed it I'm praying like mad but we're not do we love them with everything we have and are we living from this divine order that brings life
to letting go of oneself and moving at a deeper, deeper intimacy into him. So, yeah, you've got things to do, but has it been doing by my way? Am I defining that? Am my life coming? Or are you guys killing yourself, trying to fulfill the stuff which is right, but am I defining it? And is it done out of love and intimacy? Because I started with, if that's not defined, and I'm looking at a church today, I'm speaking to senior leaders that are burning out left, right and centre because they're trying to keep plates spinning because if we don't keep the plates spinning, the people don't come. The people don't come. We don't have meetings like this. But the Jesus that I read about and love in my heart, he wasn't really interested in big meetings. He said, come follow me. Where are we going to go? An incredible journey. I want to introduce you to my father. I want you to know who you are. I want you to come into the price that was paid, the inheritance that awaits. I wrote this message 4,000 years ago about a relationship. I would be crucified on a wooden cross and my blood would be spilled. I betrothed you. Will you drink of this blood to experience the joy? I thank you, Father. Lord, I pray today the spirit of revelation will just pierce our hearts. I pray the spirit of God would manifest itself in every single person's heart right now. Open our eyes to see in color. In color, Father. In color today. Lord, as we partake, as we partake today, Lord, Pray the meaning behind what we're about to do, the significance of it, would become living. It would become living, a living reality. As we eat, I pray that as that little bit of cracker or bread, whatever it is, just enters our body, our physical, there would be an ignition on our spirit. And as we partake of the juice that's symbolic of your blood, that there's also joy, has joy, and you said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drink of this until I'm reunited with you in my kingdom. Kingdom of heaven. Father, we ask, ask you to forgive us for our ways and trying to figure you out through our intellect be comfortable and want to control things. Just cleanse us now, Lord, if there's anything that's separating us from you. And I thank you for that forgiveness that's done right now. Thank you that alignment has just come. And I say that by faith. So I partake today 
with a greater understanding and a greater desire to want to live for you, lay my life down for you and others, serve others, live for others. I recommit my life to you today. Use me. Change me. Transform me. And may I bring glory to you. Glory to your name. It's about you. It's always been about you. To bring glory to your name. So Father, just as we partake now, just partake as you as you will. Just have a moment, just allow God to do his thing and speak.